0: Thank you. It's so good to be with you. It feels a lot like coming home to be with you, actually. So I'd like to introduce you to a young man who's very zealous. I think we're going to get a picture here. There you go. A zealous young man. Pay a t- particular attention to the one on the left. Yeah, that's me. About... <laughs> about 50 years ago. <laughs> on the inside, I'm still the same. But there were problems. You know, when I was in university, which is when this picture was taken, uh, I was really on fire for Jesus. Uh, one of the things I did was I wore a big leather cross, most every day, plus a psychedelic Jesus button that was you know, pretty big on the front. I don't like, there was not going to be any question about where I stood. And I also had a big list of what I thought the church should be and could be. But it wasn't very long before I had a problem. Because every time I visited an actual church, or even just an actual prayer meeting, we had lots of prayer meetings in those days. It never measured up to my list. And I was developing a kind of judgment against the church. And then a friend of mine invited me home for a school break. And while we were there, we went to his parents' prayer group. It was a mostly Catholic, charismatic prayer group. And the leader there talked to me for about five minutes and then he looked at me and he said, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're looking for the perfect church. And if you ever did find one, you'd probably join it and ruin it. (laughs) That was one of the most helpful and gracious rebukes I ever had. Because it just kind of popped that bubble and it made me realize I was gonna have to be a part of an imperfect church and I need, just needed to like get in there and do my best to make it better. You're, you're all here because you're serving as part of a local church. That's why we're in this room. And yet all around us, I sense a rising tide of anger against the church, even from people in the church. And I sometimes wonder if a lot of people aren't getting caught in the same trap I was in, looking for the perfect church. By the way, everybody, I worked at it for 45 years, and I'm here to tell you the perfect Sunday is never coming. I wonder if some people are just looking for a church and a gospel that people around us will easily like and speak well of and that brings nobody any offense ever. Of course, I'm very well aware of the church's failures. These days, one failure in one corner of the globe gets trumpeted worldwide. I've seen the abuse of power in churches the scandal that comes from that seeing problems from pastors who are insecure and can't give away ministry but you know the answer to abuse of power has always been humble service with character and integrity i know about how in some periods of history part of the church was silent in the face of evil but i also know that in those same periods, other parts of the church stood up and spoke up compellingly for what was right. I know that some parts of the church have historically been co-opted by the forces of power and nationalism and materialism, especially in our time. But again, there've always been other parts of the church that saw the dangers and gave warning to anybody who would listen. I know the church universal has its problems. But know this, the world doesn't hate us for our problems, not in the end. The world system hates the church because we proclaim that Jesus is the rightful king of this world and that he should be the Lord of their life. That's the real problem. And you can accommodate every cultural convention and give up nearly every tenant of your faith and they will still hate you as long as you proclaim Jesus as Lord because that is the spirit of the world. And there is the spirit of antichrist at work in the world always stirring up more hatred and more anger. It's almost fashionable to be angry and even to hate the church. These days. And it makes me sad because I love the church. I love it. I love you guys. I love what you're doing. I love those stories like we were just hearing. I love the church. Why do I love the church? Well, first of all, because Jesus loves the church. The church is described as his bride. If you hate his bride, you can't truly love him much. Just try hating the bride of your best friend and see if you're still best friends. <laughs> That's not going to work. Like, like I'm trying to be a disciple here. And that means if Jesus loves something, then I need to love it. Yeah? I need to be like Jesus. I need to do like Jesus. Well, Jesus loves the church. So I got to love the church. Second of all, I love the church because it's the only place where lost people become disciples. Did you hear that? The church is the only place where lost people become disciples. 90 years ago, or so, in a small town in Colorado that nobody's ever heard of called Fruta. If you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't see it. There was a small Assemblies of God church. Small, in a small town. And somebody invited their friend, who eventually became my aunt, to come to church, and she met Jesus there. And it wasn't long before her entire family, seven siblings, and her mother and father, including my father, all went to that little church, met Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and their lives were forever changed the descendants of that family scattered across the United States, leading all kinds of ministries and churches. Around the same time, in another small town, a place called Enid, Oklahoma, another small Assemblies of God church, and somebody invited somebody to church And the net result was that my mother's entire family, mom and dad and all the siblings, came to Jesus. And what happened was so powerful that her father, my grandfather, quit his job midlife and became a church planter and spent the rest of his life in ministry. My parents met and they became church planters They planted a little church up in Montana, another small town. And that's where I learned to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's where I learned first about the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we had family reunions, it was like a church convention. And God has taken what began in those two little churches and done unbelievable things. Not least me standing in front of you today. That's what can happen. That's the deal. You don't have to be big to have an impact. You just gotta be faithful. You just gotta be faithful. So that's why I love the church, because stuff like that happens. I love the church, third, because it's a training environment where gifts get recognized and leaders get developed. <clears throat> a few years back, there's a young man from a Muslim background who got invited, I think, to our youth alpha. Long story short, he met Jesus got filled with the Spirit and started becoming a disciple in our church. And it wasn't long, people started recognizing that there was something special about this young man. And, uh, you know, he started moving him into leadership. And this this summer, he's gonna become our new youth pastor. You know, it's, it's an environment where what God has put in people gets unearthed and leaders get developed. And uh, that's, that's how it happened that we planted 25 churches and sent off church leaders to about 100 other churches of various sorts because it just became a place where people got to try things and they got to discover who, the, who God had made them to be. That can only happen in the context of a local church. Fourth, I love the local church because it's an engine for mobilizing resources for a mission and relief. I've had the privilege to travel and visit vineyards on every continent except Antarctica. There's not enough people down there. And you know what, what's universally true? I mean, there's the whole legacy of the spirit and all of that and the worship, but the other thing is vineyard people always are reaching out to the poor and the refugees, um, you know, ministering to them. We we have uh, six little little vineyard churches in Turkey, and they've spent most of the last ten years reaching out to Syrian refugees. It's just what we do. That's what local churches do. All the resources, the people, and the money—it comes out of local churches for all these things to happen. Fifth, I love the local church because it's a family that shares all the joys and trials of life together. You know, we've, we were leading a church for 45 years, so in that time, you, you share everything. The joys and the tragedies and the disappointments and the sorrows all along the way. And the joys are better together and the sorrows are lighter together. I think of one family in particular the Ryan family they came to us I think it was in the early 90s and they'd been a part of our church for three or four years and uh, suddenly one weekend um, because of some kind of very strange heart malady the wife of this family died just boom just dropped dead and uh, they're They had two teenage children. The youngest one was 11, a boy. And then they had an older girl who was about 13 or 14. And they were devastated. And uh, we walked with them and tried to help them and pray for them and encourage them. And for a while, it got pretty rough. The uh, young man, the 11-year-old, got got addicted to drugs and his family had to send him off to a special rehab camp. And the girls spun out of the church and uh, ended up marrying a man who wasn't a believer and, but God wasn't done with them yet. And uh, the young man came back and when he first came back, he was only willing to meet with me. So he and I would meet at a restaurant and we would talk and uh, he, was, he couldn't go to a small group. It just, you know, felt too scary to him. Well, we worked things through and we talked and listened and prayed. Well, long story short, uh, he's ended up leading all multiple small groups. The daughter, she came back around to the Lord. Her husband got saved. He's on fire for Jesus. They, they got involved in our care ministry and they're leading the whole thing. And there was another woman in our church, more recently, a single mother. She had, uh, I think four children. Three, my wife says, three children. And she died of cancer and didn't have any relatives that she trusted to take the kids. And so this young man, Matt, him and his wife took in those three children and made them a part of their family and brought restoration to yet another family. And I'm pretty sure that's not the end of the story. You know, this is what local churches do. This is the kind of things that happen. Like we stand together and with each other and God is able to use that to bring resurrection power into people's lives that have been devastated. I love the church number six because it's a community that brings together those who would never come together naturally. You know, Jesus like. Is really not very discriminatory. He just brings everybody home with him. And, you know, he has a habit of finding somebody that's annoying to me (laughs) or somebody with whom I have almost nothing in common and, like, having them, like, desperately need to talk to me. And where else would that happen? You know, that's part of my discipleship, learning to love people I didn't pick. You know, if if you haven't entered into that, then you've missed out on some of the goodies. You're diminished by it, because only in the church do we find people coming together who would never otherwise be together. And of course, part of the fun part of it for us is that for us, that's meant people from 55 nations of the world. And so they not only come with different personalities, they come with different cultures and different stories. And last, number seven, I love the local church because it's a fireplace where the Holy Spirit can be experienced in life-changing ways over and over and over again. A few years back, one of our middle schoolers had a sleepover for her birthday. The way they worked it out was it was a Saturday, and so she told all her friends, you know, parents, you can come early on Sunday morning and pick your child up, or you can let us take your child to church with us, and then you can pick them up at noon. And several of them chose noon. (laughs) And one of the girls, came and said, can I come back? I like this. And of course the answer was, sure, you can come again. And she kept coming, and after a few weeks, she goes home one day and she tells her father, you know, I think I'm starting to believe this Jesus stuff. Father then decided, oh, this is getting serious. I better check this out. So he came the next Sunday to check us out, and I happened to meet him. And he comes up and he squints his eyes at me and he looks at me and he says, I don't know what's going on in this place, but there's something powerful here and I'm gonna find out what it is. (laughs) And I thought, you sure are. (laughs) It only took about three weeks. He ended up part of one of our church plant teams. You know, I believe that more than ever, people need to see a church in their community that's a supernatural church, where they like, meet Jesus in power. A place where the unexpected can happen, where it's not predictable, and it's not necessarily always slick. Where the kingdom can break in, where they can actually be found by God. You know, it, it, uh, it needs to be one where decisions and appointments and agenda aren't characterized solely by human thinking and human strategizing, but by the operation of the Spirit's power through gifted leadership, through the prophetic and apostolic gifts that Jesus gives the church. That's a church I love. You know, looking back, you know, I, now that I'm retired, You look back, and you think about, you know, the 45 years leading one church. And what I I see looking back is that nearly every key event that bore good fruit, like phenomenal fruit, like blow your mind kind of stuff, came about through the surprising and unexpected breakthroughs of God in our midst. They didn't come about because I was so smart or because I had, was such a great strategist. It was just God kept interfering and we just kept saying yes. And I could tell you story after story, but it, that kind of thing happens only in local churches that are actively pursuing engagement with the power and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Of course, not all churches are as effective as, as we'd like, but many are. And here's the thing. If we're going to have those kind of churches, it's going to cost something. The cost of doing Supernatural Church, first of all, not what you'd expect. Part of the cost is just mundane connectedness. Like you just have to be there. You just got to be there and stay connected. First rule of leadership, show up day after day, week after week, month after month. You can't benefit from the community of Jesus if you're not there most of the time. You can't be a part of the opportunities to both give and receive if you aren't there enough for people to know you. But real communities often not that exciting. In the moment, there are great moments but there's also a lot of just simple daily life moments. It's like families. Families have their great moments, but mostly it's not. (laughs) Do I hear an amen? (laughs) You know, we have our special occasions and our family reunions, but a lot of family life is about taking out the rubbish and running the vacuum, and you call them Hoovers, don't you? and doing your homework and eating together every day. It's just a a mundane lot of the time. But just because it's mundane, you don't give up. Because mundane connectedness is the soil for growing great people. And so it is with kingdom community. There are high points, it's mostly just a lot of praying and a lot of worshiping and a lot of encouraging, a lot of learning. Together. Second, it costs loving those you would not have chosen, which is what I already talked about. It's costly to be in that kind of community, but it's worth it. Third, it costs forgiving imperfections and disillusionments. A lot of people left the community of Jesus because they were hurt or disappointed by somebody there. As if they didn't expect it. Like, you know, at our members' class, I used to say, I can guarantee you one thing if you become a part of this church. Somebody's going to hurt you. And it's all then about what you do then. What you do with that. Because, you know, the thing is, about the church, it's made up of people. And people in relationship hurt each other and disappoint each other Sometimes. People don't always get it right. And we have a way to work it through if we'll just do it. So if you're ever really gonna enjoy the full promise of kingdom community, you can't run the first time you have some difficulty. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to leave the room and end the conversation. And God would say to me, you sit here and you work it through. There must have been a thousand Mondays I wanted to quit. Maybe a couple thousand. There are a lot of Mondays in 45 years. <laughs> but I learned to forgive and to talk and to listen and work through the imperfections and the wrongs that happened in church life so that we could have something better. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That is the key thing, and that's why a lot of people can't find community these days. They all say they want it, but they're not finding it. It's because they're not willing to do that part. God calls us to be compassionate and forgiveness because we're gonna need it. You know, if you're looking for the perfect community, then you're trying to live actually an unreal dream rather than the community that God is actually building. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, argues that in his grace, God intends to shatter our dreams of perfection. He says, but God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. Fourth, it costs sacrificial service and generosity, and a lot of you know about that. That's why you're in this room. A key part of the power of kingdom community is what happens when everybody does their part. When the whole community pulls together, it's amazing what can happen. And again and again, service and generosity are key ingredients of genuine discipleship. 1 Peter 4 to 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know, everybody wants the coffee and tea on Sundays, but did it ever occur to you that somebody has to come early to make it? Of course, if you planted a church, you did that and preached. Everybody wants the church to be involved in helping the poor, but you know what, somebody actually has to show up and like be with the poor. We want our children and teenagers to get help, but it takes real people to be a part of that. So service on the part of everyone is the key to making it work. And then it takes pursuing the visible manifestation of the Spirit in our midst. Wherever you are serving, And all of you are serving in different ways in different places. But wherever you are serving, there there should be some way or some time that you're actively pursuing the manifestation of the Spirit through empowering, through prayer, through prophecies, through healings, through other miracles of various sorts that happen in the course of the service. There should be an expectation that anything could happen at any moment. To do that takes making a place, and it takes prayer. You know, the prayer meeting is still the furnace of the church, it's not gonna do any good to say, God, where's revival if you're not even praying? You know, without that it gets cold, and it takes risks. You have to take chances, you have to take risks. I think sometimes we're afraid if weird stuff happens, seekers will be offended. But I'm here to tell you, seekers are looking for weird stuff. (laughs) They're looking for somebody who's got the nerve to say, hey, we can pray for your depression and God can do something about it. You You can experience the power of God in your own body, for yourself, in a way that you can feel right now. That's what they want. The people who have trouble with the weird stuff are Christians who are still trying to stay in control. There's <laughs> uh, somebody over there that's. You know, in my church, they talked back to me. So that meant, you know, if it was good, I got an amen. If I was struggling, There was one lady in particular, she'd just say out loud so everybody could hear, help him, Lord. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) Anyway, I want people to come into our churches and say, I don't know what's going on here, but there's something powerful here. You know, Jesus talked about how the good shepherd leaves the 99 sheep in the fold and goes out in search of the one that's lost. And that's the heart of the Holy Spirit. Wherever there's been an outpouring of the Spirit, it has not been long before he called people to leave their spiritual home to start a new one for the ones that don't have one. That's how the vineyard began. In the beginning, God would we'd be in meetings like this. We came to learn about healing. And God ambushed us and called us to plant churches. And there was a big wave of church planting in the early days of the vineyard because we were like seeking the Holy Spirit, striving to put him in full control, and he just kept sending us and calling us. There's another place that needs a spiritual home. There's still another place that needs a place where people can find God. And there are many communities all across this land, all parts of the land, both islands, where people are needing a spiritual home that will lead them into the fullness of kingdom living and discipleship. They don't need something original. They don't need something that's different from every other church that's ever been. They don't need a church that's going to become the next megachurch. Like, have we not had enough? They don't need a church that's constantly looking for some structural or cultural magic bullet. They just need a church that will faithfully do the stuff that healthy churches do. That will like preach the gospel and love on one another and pray for each other and expect God to do wonderful things in their midst. And wherever that happens, like in my family, lives and families will be changed forever. However you serve, I want you to know your labor is not in vain. It doesn't matter how many people are there on Sunday morning. Wherever you serve, your labor is not in vain because people and families and futures are being impacted and changed. Your labor is not in vain. And that is why the local church is still the hope of the world. Now, as I was coming into this, I felt like the Lord was, has been pressing on me that he's preparing a new wave of church planting. A new wave of humble servant leaders who will make the sacrifice and take the risk and establish those kinds of communities in new places, and that he would prepare them by meeting them with supernatural power. And I think a lot of them are in this room right now. And some of you, you know God's been speaking to you and calling you to plant a church somewhere. Maybe you don't know exactly where, but you know it's coming. Some of you are suspecting, you're not sure yet, but you think maybe. There's this stirring inside, like, that's what I want to be a part of. I think God wants to meet you in power today, this morning. And so what I want to ask you to do is, if that's you, you're one of those people, you've, you either know you're called to church plant or you think maybe, There's that possibility. Down the road somewhere. I'd like to invite you to come up to the front because I think the Lord's going to meet you. Just stand up from where you are and come down. Now.